Testament reading this morning comes from Psalm 85, 8 through 13, which is page 493. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints, but let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet, righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground, and righteousness looks down from the sky. Yes, the Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps a way. Our New Testament reading is Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 33, which is page 820. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But then he saw the wind. He was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got Into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, this is your word not ours. And it's your word that gives life. It's your word that endures forever. And so, Lord, you know us. You have given us life through your word. And we pray that as your word is, as it, as it has been read, Lord, as it is listened to, as, Lord, we, we meditate together upon it, we ask that your word might continue to impart life to our hearts, that we may worship you, Lord Jesus, in the way that you deserve. For it's in your mighty name we pray. Amen. God is good. And all the time. Amen. This is a timeless truth that has to be rehearsed and worked into our hearts. In fact, I think that The love of God, the goodness of God, and the grace of God are all things that every Christian needs, that every Christian has to work into their hearts 
or they're not going to make it in this life. Kelly Willard, singer, songwriter, some of you may remember her music. She recorded under the Maranatha label back in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, and on into the early 2000s. But she was diagnosed as manic depressive in 1987. And she stopped taking the medication because it affected her so badly. And, and, and she went through a, a lot of things in the intervening years. But the diagnosis was reconfirmed in 2002, but with a new name, bipolar disorder. Better medications had been developed. And she believed that this has worked well and it, it's worked well enough to help her through the trauma of an awful year. And she talks about how bad this year was. This, this, and and she, she calls it a, uh, the worst year of her life. So during an interview, this is what Kelly Willard had to say. She said, and it's a long quote, and I'm sorry if you're not from Grace, you're not used to long quotes maybe. But if you're from Grace, yeah, see the previous pastor, you know, he conditioned us. <laughs> I love you, brother. <laughs> so, so it's a long quote, so uh, I'll try and read it slowly. She said, I can also tell you that 2004 was the worst year of my life. In that one year, I lost my father, my mother, my, pre my precious only daughter, and a 29-year marriage. Recovering from that year has been an excruciating and ongoing struggle. There are things about that year that I will never understand nor get completely over, but I have come to a place of trusting God. Firstly, his word is true, and nothing that has happened in my life has changed him or his promises to me as, a as his child, and nothing has been successful in separating me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. I have asked why, but I have had to accept the fact that there are just things in life that happen that we will never understand fully or be able to explain. Even knowing that, I have many times felt like a huge failure. But you know what? God's word says in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If that's what makes us a failure, then we're all failures. But I don't believe we were told that scripture to make us feel like or label ourselves failures. I believe it was meant to emphasize the huge love, grace, and forgiveness of our faithful Lord Jesus. You see what she's doing? She's doing what Jesus told the disciples. Take heart. It is I. She's working the love of God, the goodness of God, and the grace of God found in Jesus Christ into her heart. But the question, though, is how? How do we become steadfast when chaos comes into our world? Because it is the children of God. The children of God are the ones who should know that God is good all the time. And they should know that God, through the goodness and grace of Christ, knows how to end chaos and evil without ending them. See, the story of Jesus walking on the water shows us that responding to the goodness of God and letting Christ's grace work in our hearts on the seas is to trust when the crowds are dismissed. Trust 
though there is distance. Trust in the dead of night. Trust and deal with doubt. Trust and be dauntless. Now, I'm sorry if you, if you weren't here last week and you're hearing this for the first time. I'm only going to, to preach the last three points because I covered the last two last Sunday. So, so yeah, last week we talked about the, when, trusting when the crowds are dismissed and to trust though there's distance. Yeah, the crowds were dismissed to remove the disciples from the comfort of self-exaltation. Remember, recall how the crowd wanted to take and make Jesus king by force? It's in John chapter 6. It's the same story that's taking place here in Matthew 14. In John chapter 6, they wanted to make Jesus king by force. And Jesus separates the disciples from the crowd, and he makes them get into the boat, which kind of makes you think that they didn't want to get in the boat. They had to be made to get in the boat. We like what the crowd is saying. Yeah. So he makes them get in the boat to go to the other side while he goes to the mountain alone. And, and he's there away from them, away from us. But it must be that he's there for our ultimate good as he's there on the mountain alone because he's going to be on the mountain alone later. And so trust, though there's distance it must be for my ultimate good. Now, those, those were the first two, the summary of the first two, two points, but we'll pick up with the third point. Trust in the dead of night. Look at verses 25 and 26 of Matthew 14. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. Now, see, trust when the crowds are dismissed. Trust Though there is distance, trust in the dead of night. See, the disciples whom Jesus made get in the boat, they've been at sea now for a long time. You know, they've, been, they've been on the Sea of Galilee for, for eight to nine hours, and Jesus hadn't showed up yet. And, 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 and they're, fighting, they're fighting the wind and the waves. And now the text says it's the dead of night. It's the fourth watch. See, that's between 3 and 6 a.m. It's that window of nighttime where if you're sleep deprived, your mind races with things, anxieties and, and imaginings that are not real. They're ghosts. Your heart can race. Your, prayer, your, your prayers can come and go without much coherence. And yet, that thing you are fearing seems to hang on. Have you been there? Has anybody been there? I have. Yeah. See, in the dead of night, none of what you dread is real. It's a ghost. The paranoia you feel of what others might be thinking of you is not real. The unfinished project that you have with its deadline looming over you, it's, it's not going to be your undoing. The grief mixed with guilt over the death of your loved one, thinking that it's your fault, as you might assume in the fourth watch of your sleep-deprived night, that's not real. It's not real. See, in the dead of night, it's hard to discern Jesus from the ghosts. And like the disciples, you can confuse the two. However, 
If it's true, as we talked about the distance, if it's true that the distance, the feeling of distance doesn't change the fact of the nearness of Christ, then the dead of night can't distort who Christ really is either. See, grace says Jesus always looks like the favor of God, the justice of God, the love of God. He's always full of grace and truth. And see, this isn't the only time that they'll mistake Jesus for being a ghost. Remember in Luke 24, 30, 38 through 40, after his resurrection from the dead, Jesus would say to the disciples, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit, ghost, does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And you see, Jesus is reality. He's reality. The things in the dead of night are not. And like the disciples, we need the grace that we have in Christ to bring us back to reality. You see, grace is Christ revealing himself to us for us to see who he really is. It is his gracious nature to reveal just how good he is to us. So he works to help us to trust and deal with doubt. Look at verses 28 and 31 of Matthew 14. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? You see, doubts can be chaotic, can't they? Yeah, yeah. And, and unless, you, unless you have an anchor, that doubt will keep you spinning and twisting on the wind-tossed sea. And this is where many people find themselves in these days in our culture. According to, to Jake Metter of The Atlantic, he says nearly 40 million people have stopped attending church in the last 25 years. So they're certain about nothing. And they're anchorless and driven by every wind that blows. Yeah. Doubt will do that to you. We had a neighbor when we lived in Chattanooga, and, and he was our, our friend. You know, and he was a, a, very, a very skilled carpenter. He had, had his own business, you know, but he broke his back. And, uh, uh, he, and he ended up losing a lot of things, but he's, you know, this man had a lot of ambition. He, he cleared out a, 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 an overgrown field of kudzu and all kind of... Kudzu is something that grows in the South, and it's everywhere. Some people eat it. I don't recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> but, but he did all that sitting in a wheelchair. He, he had that kind of ambition. You know, but, and, and, and he taught me a lot of skills, but, but he wasn't a Christian. And in fact, he was sometimes antagonistic toward Christianity. Well, he died in, in a house fire. And we went to, man, his house was right down the street from ours. But he went to, we went to his service at, at this Unitarian Universalist church. I'd never been in one in, until then. And they had this sign on display uh, there in, there in the, uh, what I suppose was supposed to be their, their sanctuary. And it was, a, it was a, I mean, you couldn't help but notice the sign. And, and the sign read, 
to question is the answer. Cody, our, our second son, he was about 10 or 11 at the time. He looked at that sign and he said, Daddy, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah, see, inwardly I, 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 I smiled. And I thought, I'm glad, I'm glad he reached that conclusion because that's true. See, you can't go on doubting and being suspicious about everything and think that doubting is the solution to the universe? No. See, C.S. Lewis in The Abolition of Man, he's, he wrote this. He says, you can't go on seeing through things forever. The whole point of seeing through something is to see something through it. To see through all things is the same time as not, all things is the same time, same as not to see. Yeah, see, this applies to doubt as well. See, you can't go on doubting or you'll never find solid ground to stand on. You can't, you can't think that somehow doubt is what it means to have discovered reality. You'll never get to certainty. And as the text shows us, doubt affects your sight. Our doubt blocks, blocks our ability to see Christ's deity. See, Peter... His, Peter's doubt, it wasn't in sinking. Now, I know if you hear this, when sometimes if you, if you, like me, you've heard this thing, this, this text preached numerous times, and, and that's usually where people say, well, yeah, see, if he hadn't doubted, he wouldn't be sinking. You know, and therefore, you need more faith. You know, you, your, your faith is the problem. You, you need, if you had believed. Now, that, I don't think that that's where Peter's doubt started. His doubt started back in verse 28. Lord. If it is you. See, he didn't see the deity. See, in dealing with doubt, it isn't that you, it isn't that you just need a stronger faith. No, but you need a better vision to see Jesus. He's with you on the water. Don't lose sight of him. See, suppose Jesus had rescued Peter before he sank. That would have been the worst thing for Peter. He needed, to tr he needed to learn to trust that Jesus is good while he saw him walking on the water. He needed to learn to distinguish Jesus from his circumstances. Why? Because the time would come when he would have to trust him to not save him while he was being crucified upside down. That's what tradition says about Peter. That's what Fox's Book of Martyrs records about Peter. Yeah, He cried out while sinking in the water, but later, when told that he was going to be crucified, he said this, I am not worthy to die in the manner in which my Lord died. It's quite a different response, isn't it? Yeah. And how did he come to have that type of response? He stopped giving weight and consideration to his trouble and gave greater weight and consideration to Jesus. He learned that, he learned that kind of trust by training his heart to trust who Jesus is in the midst of all of those previous smaller trials. The Andre Crouch was right in that song, Through It All. He said, I've had many tears and sorrows. I've had questions for tomorrow. There have been times I didn't know right from wrong, but in every situation, God gave blessed consolation that my trials come to only make me strong. Through it all, 
Through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. Through it all, I've learned to depend upon his word. You see, it's those, in those smaller trials, in those smaller moments, in those smaller decisions, where you're learning, you're learning to trust in Jesus because that time is coming when something is really big is going to shake you and it, you'll need that truth that who Jesus is in those moments and it'll provide you comfort likewise so likewise through it all we also learn to trust and be dauntless look at verse 27 uh, and then verse 32 and 33 of Matthew 14 but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying take heart it is I do not be afraid and then verse 32 and when they got into the boat the wind ceased and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. See, trust and be dauntless. See, to be dauntless is to be brave. And that bravery comes as you learn to worship Jesus for who he is. See, worshiping Jesus will keep you when the self-exalting crowd is dismissed. See, worshiping Jesus will diminish the distance you feel and reinforce the fact of being brought near to the Father in Christ. Worshiping Jesus will ground you in the reality of Christ's saving grace when the ghosts of paranoia and anxiety come to visit you in the dead of night. Worshiping Jesus will displace your doubt and increase your ability to see Christ's conquering power over evil above the circumstances. See, worshiping Jesus will make you brave as you see evil and chaos is defeated by his power. You see, the psalmist, he, he possesses this dauntless posture of heart as he pursues worship. What does he say there in verse 8 of, of Psalm 85? Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints, only let them not return to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. You see, the writer of the psalm, he's brave because he trusts that despite what other people are saying, despite what the crowd is saying, despite how things look, look the Lord has spoken peace. You see, read the psalm. Despite the conditions, the Lord's salvation is near. Regardless of the shifting nature of the nation, the Lord's glory is the anchor for his hopes for the land. He's dauntless as he worships because these things are the Lord's promises in the covenant. In Psalm 85, 10, it says this, steadfast love and faithfulness meet, righteousness and peace kiss each other. Isn't that a great phrase? Yeah, see, steadfast love and faithfulness are the conditions of the covenant. Righteousness and peace are the promises of the covenant if the conditions are met. And in this, you and I, in, in, that, in that we're tested. You and I are tested. The nation was tested. And we're tested to see if we will believe God over everything else. And you notice, you notice in the sermon here that, that each point in the message, it begins with trust. Yeah. 
And then we're talking about when to trust and in whom do you trust? Because tests are at every turn, they're about trust, trusting God. But however, Israel, like us, failed in that steadfast, in that steadfast love and, and faith, and they failed in both areas. But as Kelly Willard says, it is not so we are labeled failures, but it is to emphasize the huge love, grace, and forgiveness of our faithful Lord Jesus. Yeah, it's against the backdrop of our failure that the love of God looms bigger. How can we, like the psalmist, still be brave? It's because the Lord hasn't failed. That's how we can be brave. It's because the Lord hasn't failed. Listen to Psalm 89, 31, and 33, because it describes our failure and God's response. If they violate my statutes and do not keep my commandment, then I will punish their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes, but I will not remove from him my steadfast love or be false to my faithfulness. See that? Yeah, we fail. God remains faithful. God is steadfast love and faithfulness. See, do you want that? Do you want steadfast love and faith, the faithfulness of the Lord? Do you want to live your days being dauntless? And you ask, well, yeah, how, how is that going to take place? Well, it's the same, it's through the same grace that the psalmist tells, is, is relying on. God hasn't failed. Jesus hasn't failed. Hallelujah. You see, in Jesus, on the cross, steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss. See, this is the truth that should direct your worship when the chaos on the seas of life is torturing your boat. See, the wrong time to stay home if you just suffered something, the wrong time to stay home is, is, is because you're suffering. No, no, no. That's the time you need to worship. You see, because in the story here, we see that it is Jesus who keeps us and sustains us by his grace through it all. Because Jesus has joined us in the chaos, in all that he has become is ours. All that he, that is his, it has become ours. And, and he's not withholding any good thing. His righteousness, his love, his goodness, his power of a never-ending life is all ours by grace through faith in Christ. God is with us. Yeah, I see that should be, a, there should have been a louder amen there. <laughs> now, I'm not telling you to say amen. Well, yes, I am. <laughs> yeah, 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 you know, because Jesus, here's what we see, and this is the whole point of the story, is as you know, this story, it's for us, but it's not about us. You understand that? This story, it's, it's for us, but it's not about us. This story, the whole point of this story is because Jesus is the great I am. You see, when he comes to the disciples and he says, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid, he's making one of those I am statements. He's taking the name that God had given himself at the Exodus, he's taking that name for himself. And in the, in the Greek, it says it's, it's the, the self-existent one. He's taking that name for himself. So everything that Jesus does in this story 
are the things that they're only ascribed to God in the Old Testament. You see, God has the power to provide deliverance from the chaos of the sea. Psalm 65, verse 7 and 8 says, Who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples, so that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe at your signs. See, it's God in, in the Old Testament who fed the multitudes in the desert with food. Psalm 78, 25 says, Man ate the bread of the angels. He sent them food in abundance. Jesus fed the 5,000 in, in a desolate place. God is the I am who is with his people. It's in Isaiah 49, the latter half of verse, 40, of verse, of verse 9 of, of Isaiah 41 and 10. You are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. You see, everything ascribed to God, said of God in the Old Testament, is present in Jesus here in this story. And so he says, become fearless because I am. And I am is with you. Be dauntless. So are you learning who Jesus is? Do you hear him saying to you when the crowds are dismissed and, and you feel like he's distant during the dark of night as you deal with doubts? Do you hear him saying, take heart, I am. Do not be afraid. Because you see, grace in, grace in Christ has this goal of making us brave before the Father. Listen to Hebrews 4.16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That word for confidence is a word that means cheerful courage. That's what God wants us to have in his presence, coming before him. See, and that's the way, that's the, way the goodness of God is brought into our lives and, and rehearsed. Take heart when the strong winds blow. Since Jesus who for the joy set before him endured the torture of the cross. You see, Jesus' death on the cross was, by all accounts, evil, unjust, and undeserved. Yet, he trusted that God is good all the time, even when things weren't good. He trusted God and rescue, that God would rescue him by raising him from the dead. And of all people who would say this and record this, it's Peter. It's Peter in 1 Peter 2, 21 and 23 when he says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. You see, it is, it is in Christ, it's in Christ that we can come cheerfully and courageously to a father who judges justly and to ask for grace to help in time of need. He is with us on the winds and the waves. You see, friends, he's the great I am. Jesus is the great I am. He's the great I am. He's your strength when the crowds are dismissed. He says, I'm king by the will of God, not by the crowd's attempted coup. He says, I, the great I am, I'm with you, even though there's distance and your heart 
Your boat is far from the peaceful shore. I mean, it may seem distant, but I'm doing something greater that is bringing you near forever. I go to prepare a place for you. He's the great I am. He's coming to you in the dead of night to reveal that the ghosts of your anxieties and your paranoia aren't real, but I am. He's the great I am. Your anchor when the chaotic winds of doubts are gusting, but he said, I am with you in the chaos. And I am He's the great I am. The great I am. Worship me and be dauntless. Because when he steps into the boat, you fear nothing. Since through his death and resurrection, I'm ending the chaos without ending you. Hallelujah. So, friends. Yes. You can say with the song, the the old hymn that says, Be still, my soul. The Lord is on my side. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are Lord, you are sovereign. There isn't any wind that blows or, or or any sea of chaos that can disturb what it is that you are doing. Lord, you are God. You step onto the scene and you cause it to cease. And your word reminds us that one day, one day, the sea will be no more. Hallelujah. All the chaos will be over. Enable us now as your people, Lord, as, as Lord, from wherever we come. And Father, you know everyone's life here. Enable us, Lord, to trust you through it all. Still our souls for Jesus' sake and his glory and our good. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.